السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله الذي أنزل القرآن العربي وحدانا سرات سوية والصلاة والسلام على محمد الذي بعث رسول النبي وعلى آله وصحبه الذين سلكوا طريق المرضية أما بعد my respected elders dearest brothers and sisters welcome to this Jumu'ah that we have today the discussion that I want to have with you is that regarding the Battle of Badr. A question may arise that what is the rele relevance of Badr to Ramadan? The reality is that over the course of history, there are many things that happen during the month of Ramadan which have a great significance. The Battle of Badr is one of them. That in the second year after Hijri, and what that means when we, when we speak about that is that the second year after the Prophet ﷺ had migrated to Medina. So he spent one year there, the second year passes. In this year, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes fasting fard upon the Muslim community. And on the 17th of Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ goes out in order to participate in a battle which was going to be in a place called Badr. And there are many lessons to be learned from this. To go into the entire context and to discuss the entire narrative at this particular moment perhaps won't be needed because the time is very short. But I want to highlight to you five lessons that we can learn from the Battle of Badr and that Muslims over the centuries have been drawing benefit from. Number one, from this battle, we recognize the love of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. During this battle, there were 313 or 315. It's exact number. Many scholars highlight 313. However, others mention 315, but it was in that region. Went to an area which was known as Badr. And they were to be faced by the pagans of Mecca, the people of the Quraysh, who numbered in their thousands. They came to this particular place, the Muslims, with a very, very small army, with very primitive weaponry. There were only two horses among the entire army. Out of 313, only two had a horse. One was Zubair radiallahu anhu, the other was Miqdad radiallahu anhu. And then there were 70 camels that they were using. Armor wasn't, proper, wasn't properly used. And we know that the state of the weapon or the weapons that they were using, the swords that they were using, wasn't too great either. Because we find in some narrations, for example, the narration of Muslim, where some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum are fighting with their swords and their sword breaks, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam hands them a stick to fight with and to continue this battle with. This situation would have only come up with because of two reasons. One, because they were fighting really, really well and really, really hard. Or two, that the swords that they were using were brittle. Nevertheless, at the beginning of this battle, the Prophet ﷺ is forming the ranks. He has the two Sahaba who were on horseback on one side of the army and on the other one on the other side of the army, that they will be managing the flanks. And the Prophet ﷺ, similar like we have in Salah, just before the Salah, the Imam, he will stand outside, he will stand here and will say, Sawu, sufufakum, that's straighten your rows, straighten your rows. Nowadays, we just say it. 
But before the imams would actually go out into the sufuf and find people who weren't standing properly in their rows. And they would make sure that the rows were straightened. We can't do that now. Those people will get offended. The Prophet ﷺ is straightening his army, the ranks of his army. And he says, and he's got his arrow that he has in his hand. He's taken his arrow out and he's putting people in line. He's there walking past them, putting them in line, walking past them, putting them in line. Until he gets past one companion by the name of Sawad, radiallahu anhu. And he pokes into Sawad and he says, So Sawad, stand in, in line, O Sawad. Sawad looks at himself and he says that you have hurt me. You've pushed this tip into me and it has hurt me, O Messenger of Allah. Sahaba radiallahu anhum are absolutely bemused. They, they are you know, confused and, and wondrous as to why Sawad has made this comment against the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had no problem with it. He said, if I have hurt you, then it is your right to take retribution. It is your right to take revenge. So, he says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you have hurt my skin, whereas you are wearing armor. So if I was to poke you back, it would only afflict the armor. I want to have that, I want to be able to prod against your skin. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum are absolutely stunned at the courage of this man. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says no problem. And he lifts up his qameez, he lifts up his upper garment, and he says take your retribution now. And Sawad radiallahu anhu in this battle of Badr, he clings on to the waist of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and begins to kiss the blessed stomach of the Prophet alayhi salatu wasallam. The Prophet says, Ma hamalaka ya Sawad? That what has come over you, O Sawad, why are you doing this? He says, O Messenger of Allah, as you can see, I am on the front line. Between me and the other side, there is an entire army of a thousand. The likelihood of me dying in this battle is huge because I'm, in the, I'm right at the beginning. I will have to go through a hundred swords, a thousand swords just to get to the other side. I wanted my last meeting with you to be with my skin touching yours. This was the love that they had for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You have Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, radiallahu anhu, who is standing in, his, in the battle formation. And he has two young boys, two teenagers next to him. And Abdul Rahman himself says that I started looking at them and wondering if only I had joined partners with someone who was also an adult. So maybe if I got into a spot of bother, or if I was in trouble, then they would be able to defend me. What are these two boys going to do? What are the, you know, the, they are young teenagers. What are they going to do? He says, I was thinking this, when suddenly one of them said to me, that, oh, my uncle, which one is Abu Jahl? He says, I was starstruck by the, I was astonished by why he was asking me this. I asked him that, what business do you have with Abu Jahl? Abu Jahl, the leader of the Quraysh, the chief of the Quraysh, the individual who was the greatest enemy to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, whilst the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was in Mecca. Abu Jahl, the greatest enemy of Islam, who had killed and who had tortured so many of the companions, radiallahu anhum. This young teenager, these two boys are asking, which one is Abu Jahl from among them? He says, what business do you have with Abu Jahl? He says, I have heard that he has hurt and he has harmed the Messenger of Allah I swear by Allah, if I see him, I will not stop until I kill him or he kills me. And when the battle raged on, 
Abdul Rahman says, I spotted Abu Jahl. And I told the boys that this is the man that you were questioning about. And he said that they darted towards him. One was trying to get him from the back. One was trying to get him to the front. And the son of Abu Jahl, Ikrama, Ikrama later on becomes Muslim. At that time, he was not Muslim. Swiped at one of the boys to the extent that his arm was about to fall off. So he himself mentions that I threw my arm behind me so I could continue fighting with adrenaline. But when it became too cumbersome, I took it off myself and I continued until Abu Jahl was finished. This was all because of their love for the Prophet sallallahu how, how could they have hurt the Prophet sallallahu But mind you, this was in a battle setting. So this is the first point that comes out of the Battle of Badr. The love of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And there are numerous stories as the Sahaba are, are, are passing away and as they are dying in the Battle of Badr, you will find that they are reciting poetry and they are saying that we aren't a group of people who will give Muhammad away alayhi salatu wasalam. And they are reciting poetry like this. This was their love for him. The second point we learn from Badr, regardless of the situation, Regardless of the problems in your life, regardless whether you are in times of ease or in times of anguish and sorrow, never, ever abandon and discard your prayer. And we see the example of the Prophet ﷺ during the Battle of Badr. We find narrations which highlight that during this battle, the Prophet ﷺ turned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ali radiallahu anhu mentions that he would lift his hands. First, he read two raka'a nafal. In a prayer of, in a time of need, he read two raka'ah and then he lifted his hands towards the heavens. And he lifted his hands towards the heavens to such an extent that the mantle and the cloth that he was wearing, remember the clothing of the Arabs was similar to the ihram that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, so he, as if you have an ihram over you, you have, an upper, you have an upper part and a lower part. This was the popular garments that they used to wear. It, it wasn't uh, necessarily something like this, but it was the upper garment and the lower garment. And Ali mentions that I saw, I came to the Prophet ﷺ during the battle to see if he was okay and if he was harmed or if everything was fine. And I saw his hands which were raised so high that his mantle, that the top, of, the top garment which was upon him was falling down. And he was beseeching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what was the dua he was making? That, oh Allah, when the Prophet ﷺ saw that they were only 313 in number and the enemy is 1,000, the Prophet ﷺ said, oh Allah, if this, if this these people of yours are eradicated today, then they will not be another person after us to worship you. And he is making this dua. Why? Because this time was an incredibly crucial time for the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslim community. This needed to be a decisive victory for Islam to flourish. Even at such a moment where it is so, where, where it's so sensitive, the Prophet ﷺ resorts to supplication and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My friends, there are many of us, honestly, and I, there are many of us, I remember even standing outside before we could stand outside and we could socialize and we could talk and we could mingle and we could ask questions with one or two to one another. I remember one, <coughs> and, and this this comes quite a, a, a lot in my experience as an imam, where people come up to me and they say, I've got this problem in my life. I've got this problem in my life. I've got this problem at my home. I've got this problem, my financial problems. I've got this, I've got that. There's health problems. I've got so many problems. I'm not getting good sleep. I'm not getting good this. The first question that I've started asking every single person who come to me and who have said that I've got a problem, but they can't pinpoint exactly what it is. This problem, this problem, this problem, numerous problems. The first questions I ask them is that, how many salah do you pray in a day? And how many salah do the people in your household pray? Whenever I have found people who are saying that they are suffering from so much and there are so many problems and they haven't got peace of mind in their life, it is because salah has been abandoned. 
abandoned. If you become a person who abandons Allah, then Allah will abandon you. Allah mentions in Surah Al-Hashr. He says, Don't be like those individuals who forgot about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He caused them to forget about themselves. They don't care whether they pray their salah or they don't. Allah has abandoned them. Allah has left them completely. Okay, and if Allah abandons a person, remember, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi says a very, very piercing quote. It's a quote which always revolves in my mind. He says, for every single thing a person loses in this world, family members, children, wife, partners, for every single thing, whether it is wealth, there is a substitute. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide a substitute. So Ibn al-Qayyim says, for every single thing a person loses in this world, there is a substitute. But for the one who loses Allah, he can never find a replacement. For as long as that Allah is something which is a constant in your life, and that connection to him can only remain constant through prayer. And this is the Prophet ﷺ exemplifying this in the battle. So this is number two, the second lesson. The third lesson, and perhaps this is incredibly important for us today, that never ever think that wrongdoers will be left to continually commit wrong and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not take them to accountability. Remember, by the time Badr had happened, many Sahaba had been killed. Many Sahaba in Mecca had been shackled and fettered and kept captive. Many of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, had been tortured. The wrongs which were happening against the Muslim community at that time were huge, very much like we see around the world today. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Ibrahim, لَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ That never ever consider Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be heedless or unknowing of that which is being perpetrated by the wrongdoers. And he says, ظَالِمُونَ He says, ظَالِمُونَ The wrongdoers, whether they be Muslim or whether they are not Muslim. He doesn't say just the disbelievers or, or those who have not believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, don't think Allah is heedless or Allah is unaware of what is being perpetrated by the wrongdoers. And this includes Muslims and non-Muslims. He gives them a respite to a particular day. On that day, he will seize them. And they will be looking on in terror and in horror. Because of the punishment which will come their way. And this manifested itself in the Battle of Badr. For so many years, they had... Uh, they had uh, uh, fought against the Prophet ﷺ. For so many years, they had oppressed the, the Prophet ﷺ and his community. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this day sent angels in order to support this army of 313. And one of the most piercing narratives that we have or which we find in this, uh, in this particular place, and, and we haven't got too much time left, maybe about uh, two or three minutes, uh, one of the most important things or important narratives we find is the story of Umayyah. Umayyah was the slave owner of Mecca. And he had Bilal uh, عنه, from among the individuals that he had as a slave. Terrible man. Incredibly terrible man. But he had one individual, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, who was a Sahabi. He had made friends with him because they used to trade with one another. 
So when they used to trade with one another, they became a bit friend, friendly and they, they were colleagues to, to one another. So when, when, he would, when Sa'id ibn Mu'adh would come, uh, or Sayyid ibn Mu'adh would, uh, uh, would come to uh, Mecca, he would go to, to Umayyah and he would say to him that I want to perform a tawaf around the Kaaba. Can you take me towards the Kaaba, please, so I can perform a tawaf under your protection? So he would go because uh, he, you know, he, he respected his Muslim friend for the purposes of trade. So he would perform the tawaf, etc. And one day Abu Jahl caught them and he says to Umayyah, what are you doing? Don't you know that this man is a rebel? Don't you know that this man is a, a, is a Muslim? Don't you know that he's with the Prophet and you are giving him safe passage over here? And this companion of the Prophet replied to him and re reprimanded him and rebuked him. And he says, you know, don't say such a thing. Otherwise, your trade routes that you have from Syria to Mecca, I will close them off as well. And it was getting really, really heated until the Umayyad calmed the situation between both of them. And, and the Sahabi said, well, the Prophet has already stated and highlighted that you and you and you and you and you will die. When Umayyah heard this, he became incredibly frightened. He returned home to his wife and he said that if, and this is the, 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 the fallacy of it all. This is the, the irony of it all. They recognize the Prophet wasallam to be truthful. And he says to, he says to his wife that, Muhammad has never ever told a lie. If he said I'm going to die, then I'm going to die. I can't participate in any war. I can't participate in any battle. As far as he was concerned about his livelihood in this world, he believed the Prophet ﷺ. But he neglected belief in the hereafter when the Prophet ﷺ was trying to save him from a bigger torment in the hereafter. When the Battle of Badr was raging on, Abu Jahl, the chief of the Quraysh, was getting all the other smaller chiefs ready. And he comes to Umayyah and he says to Umayyah that why don't you come with us as well? And he says, listen, Muhammad has said that I'm going to die. I don't want any part of this. And he said that, listen, it doesn't matter. I'm going to give you the fastest horse. As soon as things go upside down and there are upheavals, you can turn the horse around and bolt back to Mecca. What happens? He comes across Bilal radiallahu anhu, the man that he has persecuted for so long. And Bilal radiallahu anhu is angry. He's had boulders placed upon him. He's been kicked. He's been spat. And, Abu, and Bilal radiallahu anhu in this atmosphere of battle says that if Umayyah survives today, Bilal will not survive. And he goes after Umayyah and like this he's finished as well but this was how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never ever think that Allah is unaware of the wrong that individuals are doing and my, my friends we look at these verses and we think to ourselves that Allah will will make the world harmonious again but what about the dhulm and the oppression that we are doing upon other people the people within our households the people within our communities the people who work for us the people who are our neighbors the people who are within our community what about the dhulm that we are doing the money that we are taking unjustly from one place and using in order to push in another place all of these wrongs do you think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and, and time is, 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 is scratching on but I remember a, a while back this was three or four years ago I remember a lady had called asking a masala a ruling and she says that I'm in an affair and, and, and this is I'm being quite open with you guys because this is the problems that we find in the Muslim community she says that she a Muslim lady so she's saying that she's in an affair but she doesn't want to give it up I said to her that you know have you no fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala advising her she says I don't think I will be caught as soon as she said, I don't think, I said, why don't you just, if you want to be with someone else, why don't you speak to your husband and, and end the marriage and make everything amicable and then go and marry someone off, make it halal, etc. She says, no, because he's good to me, his mother, uh, my mother-in-law is good to me as well, I don't want to hurt them. So I said to her that, listen, you think you will not be caught. لا تحسبن الله غافلا 
Don't ever think Allah is unaware of the wrong that wrongdoers do. He will give them a time until for them to repent and for them to beg for mercy. And if they do not do so, then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seizes, then they cannot be a seizing. Indeed, Allah mentions in Surah Al-Buruj that indeed the, the, the gripping and the seizing of Allah is most severe. So these are the three lessons there are, honestly, there are over 15, 20 lessons that we can take just purely from the Battle of Badr. A few years ago, I did give a talk, I think, on this particular topic in this masjid. If you go onto the website, you will be able to listen to that. Uh, inshallah, uh, we will uh, uh, conclude that discussion uh, uh, for today, and we will continue with the second part. In alhamdulillah. نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله تعالى من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم ارضى عن الخلفاء الراشدين الأربع أبي بكر وعمر وأثمان وعلي وعن الستة, وعن الستة من العشرة وعن أهل بدر وعن أصحاب الشجرة وعن السابقين الأولين من المهاجرين والأنصار وعن أمهات المؤمنين وعن الصحابة رضي الله تعالى عنهم أجمعين اللهم اغفر لنا وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات وألف بين قلوبهم وأصلح ذات بينهم وانصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم استر أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم احفظ أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم تجاوز عن أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم انصر الإسلام والمسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أنجل مستضعفين من المؤمنين في كل مكان اللهم كن لهم عونا ونصيرا اللهم بدل خوفهم أمنا وأخرجهم من الظلمات إلى النور يا أرحم الراحمين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكروا الله يذكركم ودعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقيموا الصلاة